So I'm delighted to welcome to the show today, Dustin. Dustin is the founder of Service Wealth. Dustin manages over 200 million in client net worth. Welcome, Dustin. James, thanks uh, for having me on the show. I'm, uh, I'm equally as excited as you. Well, things are going really well today, but the whole idea of the show is jump into my coaching time machine. When are we going back to? Uh, we're going to go back to uh, what would be 2000, probably 14, 13. What's, what's happening for you then? Uh, so in, in this sort of era of time, it was uh, not, not an overly fun time. It was, uh, I've been married for a little while. I was working hard, always thought, you know, in whatever sort of experience or, you know, family history I'd had that you could either be a successful entrepreneur or be a great husband and dad. So you could either be the rock star, he's always there for me type husband. Uh, and we live a great life, but we don't have a big income. Or you could be a successful business person and, and just sort of be okay at the other stuff. And, and I was, that was how I'd always entrenched in my brain. And so I was working a lot. And uh, at that particular time, we were a number of years into uh, a fertility journey. It was, mm. uh, it was a struggle to get pregnant. And uh, at that point, I was really just working to avoid the reality of when I went home and using that as sort of the excuse that, hey, well, if I don't work, our family won't have you know, means uh, to do the things we want. And so this is super important that I work uh, really hard. So that's kind of sets a stage and, uh, mm. well, it's, it's, it sounds like a, a traditional thought pattern that's kind of either or setting. Was there a moment when it came to a head then? Uh, yeah. Um, it actually was, it came to a head after we'd actually naturally gotten pregnant. So after seven in vitros and a lot of money, uh, we naturally got pregnant and, it, ironically, it was we. I'd sent an email to all of our close friends and family and said, "Don't ask when we're having kids. Like we've had this journey. It's not been very fun, but you know, people do it. And if listener, you're listening and you're going through a journey where people are asking, I totally empathize with you because at the end of the day, it's freaking annoying. And people go, "Oh, five mm-hmm. years you've been together. Like why aren't you having a kid?" It's like, hey, we're going through something and it's not very fun. But then you asking me about it pisses me off even more. So mm-hmm. that you know, being aware of that and being able to say and have the courage to say, Hey, don't ask. I think for us that in our journey, it was like a huge relief. And it's, I think it, you know, I'm stereotyping maybe, and this is just my own sort of observation as a, as a guy, it might be easier to sort of say, well, and an optimist life, let's lay out what life would look like if we didn't have kids, we'd have a great life. It, you know, we'd have money and time and travel and, you know, it will be great. And to a woman that can be uh, and maybe it's the same for some guys. It's like that, that isn't an option. <laughs> and for my wife, that was, it was not an option. It was like, we're having kids and we're going to figure out how, and this is, you know, part of my, my purpose here is to, to have kids. And so sending that email was a huge relief. And then near after that, we, uh, we did find out we were pregnant. So, you know, fast forward to my, uh, oldest son now. So he would have been like eight months old maybe. And so this is 2016 cause he was born in 2015. Uh, my wife and I were kind of just not, not seeing eye to eye. And I was still working lots, coming home a little bit late, saying I'd be home at five, come home at 5.45. Oops, sorry. You know, I had one more email. And just oblivious to the fact that, you know, she, she had, you know, expectations and I wasn't really being aware of that. And 
we used to work out together or we had worked out previous to kids together. That was like our, at the end of the day, me at the gym at four and we'd have a great uh, workout and kind of connect. And we were definitely not connected. And uh, so one day I thought, I got to like really start taking action. I need to be better. I'm extremely good at, um, you know, investing in courses to, for sales and for financial planning. And I hadn't really invested anything into being better. And it was actually a psychologist that I'd seen after having a kid and it being sort of like, whoa, this is crazy for the first few months. Seeing her, obviously everything settles after four or five months, the kids start sleeping. And then I started asking her about, would you meet me and talk about business as a form of like investing in my brain or my own mm. psyche? And for a lot of entrepreneurs, we're quick to spend on business things that could make the business better. And how much spending have we spent on ourselves when the bulk of our life is spent outside the business? Mm. So that led to this action I was going to take. And I was driving to work, you know, 745. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to phone the gym. I'm going to get babysitting lined up. And because you had to pay and you had to organize it all. And so I did that. I got the babysitter lined up for 430 at the gym. And I phoned my wife right after. I was excited. I said, hey, listen, like I phoned the gym. I got organized. We're good to go. Um, I'll meet you there at 430. It's going to be awesome. And she was like, I can't believe you did this. Like, this is great. Like, I'm excited. You know, love you. See ya. And so at about 445, I was in the office and the phone rang and all my staff had gone home and I could see the call display and it was my wife's number. And I answered the phone all kind of like sexy and it was like service wealth management. And she goes, are you're still at the office? And it was like immediately like just like mm. this dread. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I just, I totally forgot. I'll, I'll be there. I'll, she goes, don't bother and just hung up. And so... Anyways, that I, I'm not a big crier, but at the same time I drove home and was like almost in tears driving home. And when I got home, she was already home. And by that time, you know, she was just like arms up, like this, this is not going to work. And I did start to have a little bit of a tear and, and a cry out of a couple things, you know, disappointment in myself that I had lined that up, uh, a bit of uh, scared. Cause I thought I was getting freaking dementia or Alzheimer's cause I had forgot like it, it did not cross my mind one bit at work. I was so into emails, phone calls, people talking, organize this, staff. It didn't even, like 4.30 rolled by, I was nowhere near remembering that. I just lined it up in the morning. And so that next day was when serious action had to, had to be. And I, I laid out a spreadsheet and I, I thought, okay, I do all this work for high net worth clients, it's great, and I organized their thing. And I wouldn't say that we were the, the plumber with the leaky pipes. We had, you know, I was pretty good with my own situation, but at the same time, I was missing how I could be both. How could I be a successful entrepreneur and be great at home? And something that, that we now call the spending accelerator was something that I built. And it was basically a way to say, if we're doing all these responsible things, and maybe we'll get into the, the finite things, but it's like, if we're doing all these responsible things throughout a month, a year with our finances and with my business, then what would happen if I spent more than I currently spend now? And not in a sense of what you can spend more on, well, I'm doing all these responsible things. I'm going to buy a new iPhone for myself. I'm going to buy a Harley. I'm going to buy, you know, that, that, those things for most successful are, successful entrepreneurs could happen anyway. But the piece that I was missing was what if I spent more on a staff member 
So I saved less, but that freed up time. What if I spent more in the form of like, I'm not going to work Fridays. So likely my revenue of my business is, is, could go down. But then that Friday would be a way that I could have an extra day for half day with the family, half day, go do whatever I want. Maybe spend the whole day with the family every week. And so again, the spending accelerator philosophy is something that we, we train everyone on because it is a way to give yourself permission to do things that you might not think are available to you right now. So it really costs out these things that we might want to do, but feel reluctant to do because they're investing in ourselves or they're not a business expense, but it's just really like almost adding it to the PL. If you've grown up knowing that to be successful, you need to work hard. How hard do you need to work? And how long do you need to work like that? And mm. if you go back to when you're say 18, 19, or I was eight and a half, nine, when I had a paper route and it was like, got to get one more person on my route. And you know, like if that's how you've been wired, you develop goals really early in life. And at 18, 19, you become, you know, you get into the workforce, you get into business, it becomes, you're, you're an adult and you create goals and beliefs. If those beliefs are still the same and you're 40 or 50, likely you need a, you need a James, you need somebody to kind of connect with and revisit that old, what we call belief gristle. Mm. And so for you, these changes, so it sounds like you were kind of on this path where it was kind of, the self-justification was, I'm working hard to provide a life for my family and just really laser focused on what that looked like to the extent that you had this kind of crisis moment with your wife where you sort of, where she was in the gym and you weren't. What changes did you then make and how's that played out for you? Yeah, there's, there's 168 hours in a week. So if you break that up a perfectly balanced life, but 56 hours for sleep, 56 hours for work and 56 hours for you. So the you bucket though also includes your family. So if, if you're single, you got 56 hours a week to golf, snowmobile and Western Canada snowmobile or in the UK, like windsurf, whatever, you, you know, out there drink, you guys probably in drink. The UK. So I go to the pub 56 <laughs> hours a week. Okay. So if there's 56 hours for the work and 56 hours for the sleep and 56, you know, and that's seven hours a night of sleep and 56 hours for you. And that includes a family. Then when you actually like break that down and you say like, wow, like that's eight hours a day. So two hours in the morning when you get up with the family. So that's, you know, 14 hours in a week. You know, and it's like you start working back, you go, holy crap. Like if I'm going to work 56 hours and I want more time for myself, because what weekends as a, you know, when I was a single guy, I always had motorsports, toys, hanging out with the buds that, that was my upbringing. And, and it's, it still is, but it's, it's taken a significant amount of design and work with my wife to say, okay, I, I want to be with my family. That's important. I think it's important. So it's going to come out of work. I can't work 56 hours. So can I get it down to 40? So, you know, a few years ago, I went to a four day work week. So yeah, Thursdays are pretty freaking hair straight back and getting stuff done. But remarkably, I haven't seen production go down because I'm taking Fridays off. But now all of a sudden in a week, I've bought, you know, seven hours of no more work. So now I can do three with the family or one of my favorite Friday things is actually going to a coffee shop. Again, I've been to a million coffee shops for a million meetings with clients, potential clients, and never taking my kids out for coffee. Friday morning, mm. go work out in the morning, 
I get, that's a me bucket. Come back to the house at like 10, 1030, go for coffee with my two sons and sit there and like talk and like talk, you know, they're only six and eight, talk to them like I talk to adults. It's like, what's up? What's going on? You know, that is some of my most favorite time in the week. And so mm-hmm. again, it's, everyone has a different journey, but it, it is something that's like, where could you find that time? Maybe it's an hour of sleep. Start setting your alarm earlier, get six hours of sleep. Because I, th- I think there's this this conceptual idea of like work life balance, which I think is a flawed concept anyway, because I think it implies it's kind of like it's an either either or, uh, and so you 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 are you are the same person sitting behind the work and the personal, and it's interesting that you say that you've had that you you bought this day back, you spent this time with your family, but you're also still as productive, if not more so. Do you, do you think that's because you feel more centered and and happy potentially what i am finding now especially as my kids are in school now for six seven hours i do have this pang as an entrepreneur of like am i feeling purposeful in the success of my business so i've gone through this sort of journey to keep my rev my revenue has basically marginally gone up for the last three four years but i've had four-day work weeks Lots of time with the family, time off, uh, still working uh, tight with the clients, not adding as many clients, which feels weird. I do find being quite disciplined about this time split really forces you to focus on stuff that is important at work because you could you could fill your diary up with like, hundred times over if you as as a, as a founder quite easily. But it almost feels so ingrained this idea that if you're not straining and struggling and not competing for this big goal is there something wrong are you are you trying hard enough it is hard to know like is that is that an echo of a of an unhealthy old mindset or is that a time of life where actually there is a time as a parent where you really want to be there for your kids and really be there and then as they get older actually maybe you get some of your time back and maybe that is the opportunity to to push harder again the epiphany that you had before when you had this moment of going, okay, well, we need to look at this sort of wealth accelerator differently, which is how do I buy things that are going to make my life better maybe now rather than wait? It feels it feels quite similar to that in terms of like, this is a personal epiphany again around I'm feeling this tension. How can I share this journey with my clients as well in quite a structured way? So it feels like deepening a path that you've already that you've already started to walk it, mm. it feels unusual for financial advisors to be sort of advising like spend on taking day off but if you're taking the long-term view which is clear your, your approach it's kind of like if i can build long-term relationships with my clients and they're going to enjoy the journey and they're going to be happy yeah 100 percent. and, and the, in, from from experience you have two founders you know and i i call them harv and maria and again their names have been changed but uh, you know, Harv builds his business, you know, age 60, builds it up, invests everything back into the business, successful work weekends, work nights, sacrifice everything at age 60 sells his business for 3 million. And Maria, on the other hand is, you know, age 60 built a, a successful business, successful mindset, but very intentional with time off and spending money on learning. She builds her business up and sells it at age 60 for 1.5 million. And at age 63, they both pass away with money in the bank. So it didn't matter if you were Harv and had three or Maria with 1.5, you're still gone. And so mm. 
when I ask wealthy clients about that and say, Hey, like, could you have worked a little less Harv? Like, and only had, you know, 2 million. And so you take that step further to like the kids of these parents and say, Hey guys, let's lay out a plan now where I still want you to be uber successful, but let's get optics on like how successful you need to be to actually to live a life. And what I find with wealthy people is they don't spend nearly on mass. They don't spend nearly as much as they think or what they spent in their, you know, from 40 to 60, you're buying stuff you don't need. You're, you're, you're buying stuff for your kids. Cause they're at a crucial age, all that stuff. And it's like the kids are age 30 or older. They're fine. And so, yeah, you, you know, you bought the million dollar boat and you bought this and you, it's like, you get to 60, you go, I've already kind of proven myself. They go, yeah, we did a reno on our house. It was 250,000. It's just perfect for us. You know, we're going to stay in this house for as long as they're not upgrading. They're not changing. And so, you know, if you only spend 150, 220 a year and you have 4 million, you can run the numbers and go, well, if you had no risk in a portfolio, you're going to still have 25 years of spending. And so then you go, okay, well, how much do I really need? And I guess we got two kind of conversations running. You have the, the extreme go-getters where, you know, I'll hear a guy say at four, you know, 28, my number is 44 million. I believe that that's my number to do these certain things. And they've laid it all out and they want to give to charity and they want to have their own building at the university and all this stuff. It's like, okay, that's an, you know, that's a, a one, 1% or less than a one percenter. Then you have successful, uh, above average sort of achiever. And in those, that's the zone where if not regulated or if not made aware of it for yourself, you can burn yourself out. You can get to age 60 with lots of money, have a shitty relationship with your kids, have a bad relationship with yourself, be on your second divorce and your mental health is questionable. And that to me isn't wealth. And, and I think that's what it's really come down to like, what is wealth? But it's not just money. And even if it is money, being, being wealthy yourself on that journey is going to pay dividends. Like there's, there's a dividend, there's much like sort of the power of accumulated interest just from in a bank. I really think there's a power of accumulated interest on just investing in self. Think about the five richest people, you know, in your circle. And then think about the five wealthiest people, you know, and is it the same list? If it's not the same list, then what qualities do the wealthiest people have? And are you living by those values now? Or what values do you want to use from that list of people going forward? Hmm. I think it's been fascinating. I'm going to leave the last word to your wife. Do you, do you think she would go through that gym experience again in order to have triggered this change to get to the life you are, you have now? Tough to say. I'm not her. But uh, I definitely know that I'm a little more aware now. Not perfect. Definitely need a lot more improvement. But... Yeah, if you would ask me what my priorities were seven, eight years ago, they would be very different than they are now. It sounds it sounds a bit like Breaking Bad. I mean, sure, I hope everyone has seen Breaking Bad by this stage, but it's kind of like the whole way through, he's kind of like, I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this for you, I'm doing this for you. And then that, that amazing scene when he goes, okay, I was doing it for myself. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Well, Dustin, that has been very interesting. And I really I really like this this redefining what wealth really means and then actually providing practically the tools to capture it and improve it so thank you for sharing as you heard today coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore 
If you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast or just want to learn more about coaching, book in for a 30-minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.